everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of The Visitors Might Be Listening. I'm your returning host, Mr. Lewis Ryan, here again for another episode of Monkey Talk, where we're discussing the Planet of the Apes films. I am joined by my Simeon co-hosts, uh, Mr. Mike Levito, first of all. Hello. How's it going? I've been told, though, that men are capable of unsimian behavior, unsimian horrors, so hopefully we avoid that in today's episode. <laughs> hopefully we do and my other co-host mr chris chobin chris how are you glory be to the bomb <laughs> <laughs> glory glory be indeed hopefully this podcast episode isn't a bomb though so we're back again we talked about the uh first film from 1968 and we're here again to discuss the sequel beneath the planet of the apes mike or chris have either of you spent a lot of time underground uh, i've ridden the subway in the metro a couple hundred times so if that if that counts I'm in a basement right now, too, so... Uh, besides that, I, I've done a bit of spelunking, which was, I guess, sort of interesting to sort of think about. I had, I had never thought about that in a while. That's, that was a weird one. Would spelunking in the Planet of the Apes have been a better title? <laughs> <laughs> where, where did you spelunk? I, I think, oh, goodness. Um, what is it called? It was like, uh, for, for Boy Scouts, there was some mm. place in, I think, uh, Indiana that was like this cave system. Though, uh, the Spelunking and the Planet of the Apes, I think that's the Bourne parody of this, isn't it? <laughs> you know what's crazy? I was reading someone in, in Turkey, the country, mm-hmm. they were, like, renovating their basement, and it, it was like, this is really like the movie Barbarian, where they, like, uncovered mm-hmm. a wall, and they found a whole underground city that <laughs> yeah. could hold up to, like, 20,000 people. <laughs> it's like, that's crazy. There, there are, like, legit underground communities in romania um yeah like the built into the wall shit well no i think it's it's literally like it's a lot of like orphans actually like like who like um, annie yeah like like (laughs) annie um but like who like literally like live in the sewers of like bucharest i remember seeing it on like 60 minutes once it's it's pretty wild yeah it sounds wild indeed clearly you know underground communities they're just a thing that people can't get enough of which is what the producers thought when they made this sequel but before we get to the film today, I, I did have my icebreaker question that I wanted to pose to the both of you. So uh, since Rod Serling was one of the co-screenwriters last week, I thought I'd take inspiration from that. And so I'd ask uh, you guys, we talk a bit about the, the Twilight Zone and uh, what we think of that. And what's your guys, if you had to pick one, like what's a, what's a favorite or a memorable episode of the Twilight Zone? So Mike, why don't, why don't you kick us off with uh, what you picked this week? So probably my favorite one, and this is maybe a cliche answer, is is Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. You know, the uh, famously starring William Shatner as as a man who's afraid of flying, and as as part of his therapy is is on a flight in a dark and stormy night, and thinks he sees something mysterious happening on the wing. It's just like a great setup, I think. Um, and I also think the idea of like seeing something and being convinced you see something. But other people not believing you, I think, is almost as terrifying as a gremlin on a wing. And I think that Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, in addition to capturing sort of the anxiety of air travel, captures that feeling really well. Yeah, no, that's that's a good pick. Certainly a, a memorable one. Uh, Chris, did I'm you... I'm struggling to remember the, the, the movie. that I think they did, like, a movie that was... I mean, it wasn't based on that, but, I mean, it was, for as much as it was, that it was, like, a World War II thriller in which, uh, like, there's, like, a woman on the plane... Um, I'm trying to remember it. It was in. Well, while Chris is thinking, I'll just add that uh, in in Twilight Zone, the movie they did remake that segment with uh, John Lithgow playing the the William Shatner part, and he's 
He's gotcha. he's funny in the role. <laughs> I I've I've been thinking on my favorite and that. Uh, I know it's kind of a loaded it's, question. There are a lot. The, the one that continually stands out to me is the uh, spaceman casino watching his own death. Like it's just so <laughs> surreal and weird, and then it just cuts to him, and he's just kind of like. That was fucked up, wasn't it? <laughs> like, like it's it goes counter to I think so many of the other episodes that have like this sort of end narrative tale, and it's just this like little fucked up little like cycle of a man witnessing his own demise in this weird hellscape. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And it's well done. It's it's Wait, which one is this? God damn it! I could have swore this episode existed. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Okay. Uh, Maybe Chris. I'm, I'm entering my own stepped in. Yeah. Twilight Zone. Okay. I'll, I'll look up this. I'll, I'll 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 have a look for this episode. I could have sworn this fucker existed. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the one I picked is uh five characters in search of an exit. It's always just stood out to me as being very memorable. So it's about it's the one where a uh, army major wakes up in like a featureless cylindrical room with a, a ballerina, a hobo. Uh, a bagpiper and a clown and they're basically they don't remember who they are or why they're there and it's like they're trying to escape this room and uh, the way it ends is like they manage to create like a human ladder and they they oh. pop out of the top and then it turns out that they're dolls and it's basically the the room they're in is like a salvation army collecting toys for the poor barrel <laughs> and like the the, the army major escaped and like fell into the snow and then he gets picked up and put back in and then ends ends on them uh they're like you see them as dolls and like it closes up on the ballerina and she's like starts crying jeez <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ like like toy story except incredibly like 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 a curse jesus yeah that's christ. what i was reading i was i was reading about it after i rewatched it last night and people were like oh this is the original toy story <laughs> um yeah, it just stood out to me. And, like, rewatching again, it's, like, this is incredible that this aired for, like, on primetime network television to, like, millions and millions of people. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Well, I, I feel like that's true of, pretty, of most of the Twilight Zone is that it's pretty remarkable that most of it got on the air. And then, I mean, in, in the era, it got on the air, too, kind of like the late 50s, early 60s. You know, there there's, like, there's at least, like, one episode that's basically about McCarthyism, right? And uh, um, mm-hmm. it's, you know many episodes about lots of different things yes yeah do you guys ever do um you had to like the teacher would hand out in school the script for the monsters or do on maple street yeah that's the one i was thinking of about like mccarthyism (laughs) right yeah Um, yeah but is it doesn't doesn't the doesn't there end up being like a terror though like it, it tur- well, it's like, like last week. Like I every, this everyone up. remembers it's just like, oh, it's just like a fake thing, and there's no real bad guys. But there's actually like a demon or something. Like it's, it's two aliens that are it, like messing it, yeah. with the humans. <laughs> um, and they remade it. They remade it for the Forest Whitaker version in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. where it is just their own prejudice against like their Muslim neighbor, and that's gotcha. it. Clearly, we all love the Twilight Zone here on the Visitors Podcast. Just thought we'd talk about it for a bit. So, gents, uh, now now we get to do the fun of talking about the sequel to the to Planet Apes movie. So, you, are you were you guys excited? You're like, oh boy, can't wait to watch this movie. I was excited when I found out it was like uh, 95 minutes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was nice. 
I mean, I, I was looking forward to it because I'd never seen it. I remember you talking about it, like, back in college and not, you know, how it was, it was uh, did not live up to the original. But I, I was I was curious to see what happened, and we'll, we'll get into how I feel about it later. Chris, how, were, were you looking forward to this? <laughs> I, I, I was resigned to it. Uh, it was a weird day of work, and I just, like, wandered into this. And then the, the first half, really, I was like, oh, this is, this is cooking. Like, uh, things are happening. Uh, and then... Uh, then the uh, <laughs> then he entered the, even him entering the cave. I was like, oh, this is like an, an interesting way of doing this. Like it's the subway platform, and then the fucking uh, telekinesis. Jesus Christ! Like <laughs> even the beginning of the telekinesis. I'm, I'm I I I don't. There's we'll get we'll get into the thoughts about it. But I I I was surprised at first pleasantly and eventually just surprised yeah believe it or not this was actually the movie i was looking most forward to revisiting for the podcast because i remember when i watched it uh originally it was kind of because there is like a, a left turn the movie takes at some point along the way and then i was like wait and then it's like it makes you like pick up yourself in your chair and like lean forward like what's going on here um <laughs> so i remember having really strong positive feelings about it um, that I don't think held up when I rewatched it uh, this time. <laughs> but um, I, like like you all said, we'll get to that. But I, I did want to just talk quickly about the... Well, so, you know, this movie, it's a sequel, and it, this came out at a time when you didn't really do sequels. And apparently oh. Fox, like Planet of the Apes, huge success, but Fox was having, like, tough times. Because, mm-hmm. uh, so, like, they had some musicals. I can't remember. There was a movie called Star that they were expecting to be a big hit and it bombed and there was like a several bombs. And so they were just like, what's working? It's like Planet of the Apes. All right, we'll do a Planet of the Apes sequel. And then that left the producers to be like, well, what do we do? The movie kind of like definitively ended. Like, how do we make a sequel from there? And they're like, well, we don't care. Just do it. So they got the writer of the original novel, Pierre Bull, who also wrote a Bridge on the River Kwai, by the way, the book. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah. He really liked uh, planets and bridges, and, <laughs> and they got him to write a, a sequel treatment, and he came up with an idea called Planet of the Men, <laughs> which is a great title. Yeah. And it would basically be about Taylor and Nova, like, heading off, and they'd basically start, like, a human colony of humans, and they would have a son and... The apes would, um, similarly, they would have General Ursus, who would, like, lead sort of, like, anti-human revolt. And then there would be a huge conflict, and the humans would end up winning, and the film would end with the humans looking at an ape in, like, a circus, you know, circus wagon with, like, the bars and, like, throwing peanuts at the ape. Yeah. And it's like, do a trick, do a trick. And the <laughs> ape is, Christ. the ape like, is Dr. Yeah. Zaius. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Wait, so a, a still sentient Dr. Zayas. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that that's the movie in a nutshell. I mean, like, the full treatment is online, so you can, can read it if you're interested. Um, it's pretty wild. This was uh, rejected by Fox <laughs> because because what they what Fox wanted, they wanted, like, a strong, like, visual. Like, the ending of the first movie had the visual of Taylor looking at the Statue of Liberty. So they were like, we want mm-hmm. that kind of thing in this movie we don't really want this movie with ideas and stuff Uh, so they (laughs) got rid of him they certainly got that uh uh, a bunch of apes toppling a giant golden dildo well actually like what what was intended to be the strong visual i'll reveal a little later okay um so they got this guy paul dean 
to uh, to write a script. They had to deal with a bunch of things because Charlton Heston did not want to do this movie. <laughs> you can, he was you like, can I did the that. first movie. Yeah. It was a success. And he had to be, like, dragged back into it. The producer had to, like, beg and be like, hey, you know, I, I, I stood up for you guys for the first movie, and now I need you guys to pay me back. <laughs> and so Sean Heston's like, all right, I'll do it. But it's like, I, I just want to be at the beginning, and you kill me off right at the beginning. And they were <laughs> like, okay. And then... But you, you got to come back for, like, three weird scenes at the end. It's like, not a deal. Yeah, well, that, that's essentially what happened. They made him compromise he was like just whatever just uh, i don't want to be on set for very long doing that and it was funny the documentary i saw it was like uh, franklin j schaffner was busy <laughs> making Patton and didn't want to come back to do the planet of the apes sequel and he won he won an oscar for his trouble so i guess it worked out for him yep so uh, let's let's get into it so we we have this film and it starts out with uh charlton heston basically reeling at the end of the first movie right mike yes it does yeah it we, we, it kind of in a way just kind of replays the or the opening or not the opening excuse the, me the closing the scene. previous episode yeah yeah um we, we get we get a different angle of it though and then we get some scenes of he and nova sort of traversing the forbidden zone looking for for something for someone and then they make a startling discovery what did fake, you fake fire yeah <laughs> Which I appreciated that. I was like, oh, was, oh, you remember that fake fire you saw at the beginning of the movie? Well, in the middle of the movie, we're going to give you a good reason why it looks so goddamn fake. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's true. Uh, it, it did remind me of actually another Charlton Heston movie. It reminded me of The Ten Commandments. Ah, uh, there you go. Where there's, there's also some very fake looking, like, faker looking fire, actually. <laughs> um, so I kind of appreciated that as I don't think it was an intentional callback, but it felt like one. Should, should we mention him disappearing now, too? He goes to investigate. <laughs> yeah, investigate some of the some like anomaly, and then he just kind of falls into nothingness. He he disappears. He, he, fa- he, he falls into the green screen, and it's so like the the like six inches around him on each side of the green screen make him look like they like they like put a piece of plywood and he just like fell through it or something. It was pretty funny. Yeah, it's limited technology. So yeah, I guess I'll just mention that right now. So uh, the the Fox Studios and their infinite wisdom, because Planet of the Apes one was so successful, they were like, "Hey, you know what we'll do is like we'll cut the budget in half, so that <laughs> yeah, way we yeah, have this a higher." Back in the day when it's like, well, they're gonna come anyway. Just 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 print something out. That's always funny. I forgot. About yeah. So that. The, this budget <laughs> went from five million to two and a half million. Um, wow. A little bit, like uh, like a quarter of the way through pre production, so that hampered. Well, especially especially if oh we don't we don't fucking test it anymore. They fuck them. The... Yeah, I mean you got the ape makeups and costumes, right? They were holding on to them. So how yeah, much money it. do you really need? <laughs> Turns out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, yep. So there, Charlton Heston. He's he's gone. He's disappeared. Mm-hmm. And so Nova Nova flees. And then, but before before he goes, he's he he hands her the tags, and like a dog is like, if I leave, <laughs> go back to the monkey man, <laughs> like, go back to the monkey. Yeah, go back to oh, Zira. Sh- and uh, by coincidence of all coincidences, she manages to find the next human being who's landed <laughs> yeah. on the planet of the apes. She man she manages to find a Charlton Heston lookalike who was working in Vegas. <laughs> Uh, or, or on like the Sunset Strip prior to filming, um, with apologies to Mr. Franciscus there. Yeah, she finds 
a the rescue mission that was going after uh, Taylor, which I I'm very curious sort of when they launched that mission because it's is a mission that's supposed to take like Taylor's mission is supposed to take thousands of years. So I'm kind of curious when you make the decision. Well, now we have to send another thousand year mission after them to save them. But yes, and and, and they go through the whole thing where uh, Brent, who is the the uh, the new the new crash the the new, the new the, lead of the movie. Yes, the new lead <laughs> is trying to communicate with Nova, and then uh, eventually finds the, the the dog tags and 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 they set off. The fact that. They give her absolutely no agency. Like, the maximum she does is say his name in this film. Like, really doubles down on the fact of, like, that. Like, I, I understand the metaphor of the apes are humans and the humans are apes. But apes can communicate with each other. They have rudimentary understanding of communication. So the idea that the only thing she gets to do is stare vacantly into the middle distance is wild. And that even, like, they show us flashbacks... Nominally through her eyes as he's saying things. So, like, it's, I don't know, it's... Well, you're saying, like, from her point of view, she remembers him teaching her this stuff, but she doesn't seem to, like, learn anything. Actually, like, it just was happenstance. Like, oh, I do remember that memory, but, like, I will show no willingness to accept it other than to (laughs) follow and, yeah, Jesus. Taylor. 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 (laughs) Nova. Jesus Christ. They give up. Also, they give up on teaching her. I, I guess, to be fair, they're smart to forgive on teaching her because she sto- she shows no acumen. But like, it's so quick. It's like they're trying to like teach a dog or something. Yeah. And they're like, there's no, there's no pickup. They're like, oh fuck it, this they, is useless. They should have had a, a line of dialogue of Charlton Heston being like, I would teach you sign language if I knew sign language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk about James Franciscus. And uh, what we think about him. So, uh, Mike, why don't you start us off? Because you seem to have strong feelings. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I was I was being a, a, little, a little ruder to her than to him, excuse me, than I should have been mm-hmm. for comedic effect. He's fine. I mean, again, I, I think it's it, it seems pretty clear to me that they chose him because he looks like Charlton Heston. So he was like, oh, we just happened to go for another blonde-haired, uh, mm-hmm. middlingly uh, uh, fit sleet and jar lined uh blonde man <laughs> yeah you know i don't think he has the gravitas that charlton heston does i mean he's he's not going to elevate a lot of the lines that were in the original planet of the apes he's not as like washable but that's not to say that he's unwatchable i think he is just he does what he has to do and he does an okay job doing it i i think his scenes with the apes were better like that i don't know where they just gave him better dialogue but like there was a nice little rapport there that, like, it feels like Charlton was, like, letting it heavy on every single one of those lines. So even just the dialogue between Dr. Zira, like, was, like, a bit much. So now when they were just, like, having the casual conversation in their house, it got, like, a little too casual, a little too quick, I think. But, like, once it was there, it was, like, a better rapport, it felt like. Yeah, I think he's fine. I was thinking about how last week we talked about how Charlton Heston's, like, an interesting protagonist for a movie. And I feel like the way Brent is introduced, it'd be like if you wanted to do the most cookie cutter, like man lands on planet. Like he's like given like no personality other than he's like, I'm an astronaut and I've landed on a planet. Whereas like Tron has that and monologue. My, and I, I will watch my boss die <laughs> as he as he gives me like a little speech. Yeah. The American dream. Also, I love how his boss was like, he was told it's 2000 years in the future. And he's like, my wife is dead. <laughs> it's like, Dude. yep. Yeah. That, that was the plan. Like, even if this went well, that's what was going to happen. 
They need to explain how a year works at NASA. <laughs> okay. they, they, they just they just sing the rent song over and over. minutes. <laughs> That's how far you're going into the future. And then she hit the button. So so Brent is on this planet, and basically his mission is find Taylor. And then Nova shows up right at the exact moment with the dog tags of Taylor, and he's like, "Take me to Taylor." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and. Then they, not, they... Not, you're, 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 you're holding them in your hand. That's too much agency. They were put around her neck like a dog, and and Taylor like you know, like puts them in his hand and be like, where, where is he? And, uh, and then basically makes Nova take him to Ape City, and then I don't know. It's hard to just talk about this movie without just saying that they just do the first movie all over again just to bring you up to speed because this is a new protagonist and has to learn that there are apes on the planet we, real quick though and we get some great simian politics i love it that there's the the racial hierarchy of military apes uh religious orangutans and um uh it looks like science monkeys uh yeah, they're is like, like, the, like the chimpanzees they're like the knowledge yeah, workers so, yeah yeah it's, it's like even more uh is even more established and i, I love it um, uh, I think fucking, uh, the Cornelius is killing it. Like, he's getting, he's given some absolutely shit lines, and he's delivering them pretty well. Talk about, uh... Monkey see, monkey politic. <laughs> uh, they, they, they had fewer of those in this, which I, is like, one, on one hand is kind of nice, and the other hand is like, that was, there was a little bit of fun there. Let's talk about General Ursus. What did you guys think, uh, of him and James Gregory, the actor who played him? I, I, I thought he did a really good job. I actually really enjoyed that character. I enjoyed that performance. You know, I, they don't give, I think, I mean, obviously, like, so his, his whole thing is that he's basically calling the apes to war. They want to go and conquer the Forbidden Zone and basically eradicate man as well. I don't know that I really picked up on a motivation outside of avoiding famine. Which I suppose well, they, they and said, the, some of the scouts were lost. That, like, the, the scouts that we see yeah. crucified later, upside down. They're presumably encountering the same fate that Taylor did at the beginning of the movie. And I assume they would probably also, like, it's also unclear to me, like, how much the rest of Ape City knows about what happened with Taylor, like, at, you know, mm-hmm. at the beach. So I do wonder if, like, because some of the uh, the gorillas there died, too, so I wonder if there's, like, a cover-up or something. I don't know. Point is, the motivation's maybe, like, not quite there, but I, I did really enjoy that performance. I enjoyed that character. I enjoyed, like, you know, I, I it's... This felt like the, the like Galactic Senate scenes from the prequels done right to me. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I, that's, that that was like one of my thinkings. Is like I'm excited for them to get into the politics. Why am I so turned off by this? Like I don't know exactly that the they they actually have like nuance and like I like he's actually giving like a compelling and interesting speech, even if it is politics I don't totally understand. Yeah, well, he has a, he has a line about power like Palpatine does, where he's like, "The only thing man <laughs> understands is power. Naked Raw merciless power." power. But, exactly. <laughs> It, yeah. it kind of reminds me of the, the Treehouse of Horror, Bob Dole, where he's like spinning constantly. Spinning. Bob Dole. Uh, Brent is basically introduced to this, and he's like, "It's a planet of apes." And yeah. <laughs> gets gets it really easy. Like, it's like, no, no, makes sense. This film wastes absolutely no time uh, because it has to speed along so quickly. Um, they just walk because you only got ninety minutes. They just walk directly. I guess. I guess because she knows where the right house is, but he's leading the way. They walk into the back of, uh, and I love that she uh, mistakes him for uh, Charlton Heston because, like, that she's she's man racist. 
same as the first movie like she, she can't really tell them apart that well it's only like after like spending a little bit of time with him that they could do that so i thought that was cute and then uh just the just the casual wife abuse like it's like oh why are you bleeding from your face it's like oh he gave me a slap for uh standing up standing up in the meeting it's like oh good on you like, yeah that, that was kind of weird <laughs> And then I, um, I appreciated that towards the end, like he's like the the the, the husband is like sort of laying it on pretty strong. He's like, oh no, please don't hit your wife twice. Once is fine. <laughs> oh, and then uh, when when he goes to answer the door for Doctor Zayas, like he he runs, like he does that apron, but like unlike the other extras that are sort of doing a little bit of a gallop, he just runs just completely plank down arms all the way to the front door. And I don't know, I just thought Cornelius that, that really. Yeah, yeah, that one. That one well, just got me. I think it's worth mentioning that this is the only film where Roddy McDowell did not come back, and so he does not reprise his role as Cornelius in this movie. Ah. They replaced him with a uh, another British actor named doesn't, David Watson. Doesn't have the run in the suit. Yeah, he was he was directing a movie, so he wasn't super thrilled about coming back. <laughs> he, he's much more real politique in this one. Like uh, I feel like in the first one he's like anxious and weirdo, and then this time he's like. Don't let the humans know. Don't let the apes know you can talk, or else you'll get caught. Um, yeah. So this is—it's already like 17 minutes in when when Brent is brought to the planet of the apes, and he mm -hmm. leaves pretty much immediate, or he's captured immediately. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah. And he manages to convince Zira to help him escape. No, no. Wait a second. But before I, he's like, yeah, he gets he gets captured, and then is it his first capture or second capture that he they they see the gorilla army. That's the second capture because that's one day, because because Zira tries to save Un, save the back, save him and Nova by saying, "Oh, like she goes, she goes up to Brent and is like, ah, he has a type E cranium, and, <laughs> yes, and yes. these kinds of lobes, like this is a very unusual specimen. We should keep him alive to study him, and then oh, um, target practice. Yes, they're they're marked for target practice by Ursus, so they're put in the back of like a, you know, a little prison uh, wagon. wagon. Um, and then we get probably like one of the, I would say like a pretty lazy, like way to break them out, which is just Zira just yells at the guy <laughs> being like, give me the key. And then she goes, I have to double lock this. But then she actually unlocks it. And it's just like, sort of like non-verbally is like, just wait till you, you, you're in the clear and then, hey, and then hey, opt hey. out. She, she gives them a little kissy, which reminded me from the first film where at the end, when they're saying goodbye, she has to be like, Give me, or he he'd be like, let me give you a smooch, and then she takes it and is like, oh, gross, it's a human. Like, but but it's like a little into it. It's like, oh my, this it's, is this the equivalent of an alien fucker, but an ape form. Sometimes great escapes can be boring, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, I I thought the escape scene was pretty good. First of all, I loved the sequence where they see like the ape training. I thought that was very cool. Seeing the military train, they're just like they're throwing rocks at each other like medicine balls. They're doing a little guerrilla calisthenics. Um, I legitimately enjoyed that. And then I thought the escape scene itself was pretty exciting where, you know, Brent breaks out. He, he has a struggle with, with the, uh, the driver on top of the, the, the wagon. And then uh, the, the driver is ultimately dispatched by a, uh, a low-hanging branch. <laughs> I, I thought, like, to me, that was just, like, good. And when, when, he, pretty good. when he started to, like, get back up to, like, drive, I was like... Is he gonna like climb up the reins like in Stagecoach and then later kind of sort of Mad Max Fury Road? Like, is that what's happening here? He doesn't quite go that far, but I thought that was fun. Yeah, that was that was some of the better action in this because a, a lot of this, yeah. Yeah, so 
that that was exciting and it's like this is still like the first or maybe it's not i can't remember i was just trying to keep an eye on like how uh far into the movie we were while i was doing that because it just because mm. i thought it was interesting yeah, yeah. i want to say it's like he then he it's like he the chasing keeps going like they send out like a sentry party yeah after him and it's not until uh yeah for so 40 minutes in him and nova like fall into the cave like taylor did mm-hmm. right uh mm-hmm. it's 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 like 40 to 50 minutes because i remember i actually had a pause to take my dog out but um yeah uh, it's it's they, they, they basically hide in a cave i just wanted to bring yeah. up this one scene because it was they brought up in the documentary that james franciscus like wrote this thing to give t- brent a little more personality hmm. where he's like so she can't talk it's like well talk didn't do us much good back in the day he says something like that <laughs> yeah this yeah thing? yeah after after he finds his own uh, after he finds the uh uh station queensboro uh, plaza uh, Queen, yeah. yeah queen birds are, <laughs> and, and then like goes through like a, a monument of like uh, a tour of like half the monuments of new york city uh but before that yeah like has his own little like they did it moments which I, th- I thought he did pretty did pretty well it was a lot softer um and then he yeah, turns to her it's like talking ain't worth nothing yeah i like the i liked the uh the was all the talking worth it all the tables things like that um, also just just funny to point out that queensborough plaza is actually an elevated subway station <laughs> um, which I guess makes sense if the idea is that like the whole city's buried, but I just thought that was kind of yeah. funny that they chose the the non underground station. Yeah, are, do they do they even have the tiling in the uh, overground stations? Uh, I, I I don't know. I've never actually been to Queensboro right. Station, but oh really? They 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 have tiling ish. I think if now it's like we're we're over we're well into the movie, like we're approaching we're over the halfway point, and so now we're finally getting to like the promise of the title. Mm-hmm. Where we get beneath the planet of the apes, we spend so much of the time sort of recapping the first movie for people who haven't seen it. And this was made in an era when it's like you couldn't just watch the movie on video, so you had to spend a lot of time just sort of recapping it, just because you have this new character, you want to bring the audience back up to speed. So now we get we get into this part where Brent is walking around and he basically sees underground New York City, which I think is a pretty cool thing to show because you, you can't show it in the first movie because that would give it away that that's earth so it's basically he's walking around new york city and it's like underground and uh, i think it's pretty cool yeah yeah i i enjoyed that i i enjoyed the kind of like the build-up to like the eventual discovery like i liked the, the like humming of the the ladder and this whole idea the, of of like the, the I, silence when he touches the ladder too it's so silent because i think there's just been like a little bit of background noise obviously for the whole movie yeah so like that like it's a profound silence i thought mm-hmm. that was really well done yeah literally crawling to a light at the end of the tunnel you know <laughs> um in in the ceramic tunnels i don't know what the fuck that was but it was really cool looking i like uh, i don't know there was something about just the yeah the ceramic tunnels that was it was like a cool little effect Mike, why don't you describe uh, what what happens when during this part, like the big twists? Right. Movie. So they, like I said, they find this big ladder. They, they they crawl up it. They find what looks like the outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and there's a fountain outside of it. And Nova and Brent are drinking out of the fountain, and then all of a sudden you hear this very sort of like this, this buzzing, this harsh noise, and Brent tries to drown Nova in the fountain, and, and he's acting kind of crazy. And he eventually he, he regains his senses. He enters St. Patrick's Cathedral and he finds a human being 
not only speaking, or at least making him think that they're speaking, but worshiping a giant nuclear bomb. How, how did you feel when you were watching this? It, re- it, it took me back a little to, to a lot of the Godzilla movies of this era because <laughs> the, the costuming of the, of the human characters <laughs> reminded me of the aliens from Godzilla vs. Uh, Monster Zero, which is like the first uh, Godzilla appearance of King Ghidorah. So I, like, I, I knew about this twist, so it didn't surprise me. But there was part of me where I was like, "Well, this feels like it's not really a Planet of the Apes movie anymore. This, I feel like I feel like we're, we're we're doing something else now. This feels like a little the apes feel a little like ancillary at this point." Yeah, it was really the the, the idea that he was going to find an entirely not only a a bunch of humans, but a bunch of humans with telekinetic superpowers. I was just like, "All right, sounds good. Where's where's this movie going? This is not where Bear has been." definitely the ancillary side of things like how is this going to tie back into the apes i guess they're already coming and so uh I, is it is it now or right at, right before this that there's the ape hippies it's uh i think it's might be after this yeah oh sorry sorry it is very late into the movie that we're introduced to these <laughs> telekinetic um humans living underground but uh but yeah i i wanted to hear what you and mike had to say about this because it's kind of obviously reflecting on the politics of the time (laughs) yeah but it's just such like a weird non sequitur like i understand that they're pro peace or whatever but it's just like uh it's like just like like sort of like five minutes ten minutes of the movie that only has 90 minutes to use like Mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah it's it's to to explain it for for the the listeners who may not have seen it but it's like the Guerrilla War Party sets out. Again, very cool. Reminds me of just like a lower budget kind of Lord of the Rings, like orcs on the warpath type thing. Pretty solid. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the uh, I really love the cannons that they're like. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. They're very good. And then, but then a bunch of chimpanzees gather in front of them and like lie down like like a, like a hippie might lie down in front of like a, a bulldozer or something. And they're, and they're, they're just chanting. It was like, we want freedom. We want peace or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they have their signs. And yeah, like you said, Louis, clearly trying to, to capture the uh, the spirit of the counterculture, like the Vietnam War protests and stuff. And then they just call in uh, call in some guerrilla goons to take them away. But yeah, it, uh, it felt like, it almost kind of felt like, I, I wonder if this was kind of looked at by some people as like the 1970 equivalent of like a movie like Glass Onion, where it feels like it's just like the the references to like the current political moment are overkill, right? Where you have characters calling each other like red pilled and stuff. Like I wonder if this <laughs> is kind of like the equivalent of that. Um, <laughs> but it, I I found it to be a kind of fascinating and funny, poorly aged moment. Even though, as you said, Chris, they're wasting some time and it doesn't really add a whole lot to the story. And look, it, again, if, it, if if you have a little Simeon politics this mix, I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. So, like, when I first saw the movie, I was, like, so bored for, like, the first half of it. Because it is just, like, they're doing the same thing over again in just a much less interesting way. So when he finally gets to the point where he's confronting these telekinetic mutants living underground, I was like, I'm interested. I want to see where this is going. And I felt like it was very visually that's like when the movie became visually interesting too i think mm-hmm. well especially because like, that that first scene when when they when he enters from below and they're all like standing up above that platform and you're not hearing their voices you're just hearing the pings you're like oh shit that's kind of cool and then like he's just responding i thought that scene was incredibly well done 
yeah it's giving the audience some credit to figure out what's going on there's no like voiceover with like an echo effect thing like who are you it's such like an interesting group of people um i was only thinking about this this reminds me like of um the patrick mcguin the prisoner show where it's like sort of this very like late 60s like uh it's like it's like kind of absurd where it's like you have these group of like character actors and they all they're all wearing these outfits like mike says is like you know only could exist at this moment in time if you did it today it'd be like much different like they try to be like uh, we gotta make this more believable more realistic more gritty blah 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 that they're wearing like these Mm -hmm. green yellow blue outfits and it's just it's just it's like absurd that it's like oh they're just telekinetic supermans that live underground we're not just gonna explain how any of that works um they they kind of or they do like an interesting job not not totally of how it works but like of giving you like a vibe of their culture just with that like the little like religious procession and thing (laughs) to literally just i think someone control effed god and jesus and replaced it with bomb and fallout like like it was at some point i thought they were just gonna like do the uh our father like it was it was a real catholic service it was interesting yeah i, I liked how their prayers had like a very like discordant melody to them too like they were yeah. almost half singing and it was kind of eerie i enjoyed that, that was nice. did you do you guys not because you were saying you didn't really like the idea of them in this movie. I feel like this adds like an interesting, these humans add an interesting new layer. I understand that it's called Planet of the Apes, but like, how, like what could they do without introducing like a new element? So I feel like introducing these humans was like an interesting way to go about it. I don't know if it was entirely successful, but it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. open to it being good. I, I don't think it's like a horrible idea. I, I think you're right though. The execution is what's wanting is that, because they and the apes don't come to blows until there's like 10 minutes left in the movie right <laughs> exactly so to me that like it, it to me it was just too much of a too much of a gear shift and, and it, it, was, it never, it it never really felt like, minute yeah it never really felt like these ideas properly integrated although like yeah like i said it, it is it is a generally interesting idea and i what i what i also found pretty interesting is the way they reveal how they actually look because instead of oh jesus yeah what did you guys think of that <laughs> it was it was the makeup was very well done especially compared to the eight max masks like it's it was quite impressive i don't know it's 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 another thing like i'm already dealing with the fact that these are telekinetic humans that live underground uh and then to add in that layer is like okay i guess that makes it more like okay these are like fallout mutant sort of situations but it's also it's a lot it's like it's a lot to throw onto that cake this feels like a a movie all about set pieces before set pieces were totally a thing. If that makes any sense, that like like yeah, we, we got to get to that action scene. Except instead of being an action scene, there'd be like a couple action scenes. But like we have to get to this like big uh, like you were sort of saying with the uh, the end of the last movie. It's like that's why that like a bunch of movie producers like smoking cigars were like man that people loved people loved that movie because of the last scene. Let's just have a whole movie of last scenes. Like uh, it's like you have this big ape army and you have like the big ape council scene and like some of the dialogue and some of those scenes really works and like even the big church scene like you have these big scenes but that like you miss a lot of the things that would bring the movie together. Uh, it's funny that you you talk about this the the reveal of there being mutants being like the set piece because this is supposed to be like the big shocking visual image that's meant to parallel uh... the end of this movie. This is the thing that got Fox executives to like sign off on the movie was the mm-hmm. reveal 
and it, it's funny going behind the scenes of like um like the concept art for what the mutants would look like and there's like some really like gross disturbing things they had originally planned but then the director was like uh this this is going too far it's not going to work and he <laughs> ended up being in on just like uh an anatomy yeah, textbook under... yeah yeah of like what we look like so. without skin mm-hmm. yeah yeah the blue the blue and the red veins yeah what i found interesting about it is that it's not a like the way it's edited is it's pretty clever because the idea is like obviously the actors who are portraying these these beings these mutants like you know when you first see them and they they're they're covering up their scarring or whatever that's obviously like the actor's real face right and so yeah, you have to yeah. have a thing where you basically have to come up with a way to make it look like they're taking off their real face right mm-hmm. you know and and i think they did that kind of like the logistics of that interested me a lot <laughs> just like the idea of like how oh, like the idea of like you know they, they have these kind of like quick cuts where they're clearly just had like you know a, a, yeah. a thing they can kind of like halfway put on and then peel off when they're when they're doing that shot or whatever yeah um, i thought that shot was pretty well done yeah yeah well now you can watch mission impossible 3 mike and <laughs> philip tom cruise as philip seymour often can take off his mask and it's tom cruise again and it's that, that that's <laughs> a good point yeah I do. Well, I was gonna go on a tangent, but it's like I do realize that I am like kind of dumb in the sense that it's like if I'm watching a movie like like Face Off or something where two characters switch bodies, like it's difficult for me to be like, ah, John Travolta is technically playing two different characters in this. I always just think, oh, Nicolas Cage is playing John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's difficult. And it's the same thing with like actors who are drunk. I'm never like, oh, they're doing a really good job pretending to be drunk. I'm always like, oh, that person's drunk, huh? Um, <laughs> So, I'm maybe a little too crazy. Depends how old the movie is. Yeah, well, that's a good point. (laughs) I'd only recently learned that, uh, like, black and white movies aren't, like, we speed them up to to match. Like old silent uh, movies? Yeah, yeah. Like the 180 frames. What's what's the, like. They used to just crank them. Hand crank the film. The, uh, The frame rate. Used to the yeah, yeah. So that what, that our frame rate is too fast for what those movies were, or whatever. So I don't know. I thought that was very interesting. By the way, that not, yeah, not that, that's why you get sometimes with like they're they're oh, moving oh, around. Oh, it looks oh, like oh, really yeah. like too fast. Um, which they, I, which I then becomes its own form of humor because it's the yeah. Like so, Brent Brent is captured by these super mutants. They want to know what's going. on. They worship a nuclear bomb. This big golden bomb that they seem to have, and then he's, he's very brought very to... phallic looking. Like I know, I know all <laughs> missiles look a little phallic looking, but like, like when when the initial entry happened and this guy was just like kneeling behind, like, but like below this giant golden dildo, I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> and I learned behind the scenes that this was a real bomb capable of uh, decimating an entire city. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's the Alpha and Omega Bob. What are you going to do? Like, that was... they, they got in touch with the Department of Defense, yeah. and they were like, okay, you can use it. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, who, who just set off a nuclear explosion for Oppenheimer, studied this movie so he can make his. There you go. Um, so so Brent is, is put into a prison cell with, bum, 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 Taylor. <laughs> Charlton Heston, who's still in the movie. Yes. Were you were you cheering when these two characters <laughs> met face to face? They get thrown together and like Mike is like you were saying, it's like, oh, 
uh, yeah, he is a child that has to look like. Like, did they know they were gonna be in the same scene together, fighting each other? Like, and we were gonna have to like discern. And like, I I was half expecting like her to get a gun and like have to choose between them. And like, <laughs> oh, which one do I shoot? I think it would have been funny if Taylor was like, if he thought, if he thought Brent was him. Like, if he thought, like, there are was you some... me from the past? Yeah, yeah, something like that. That that would have been funny. Thank God, you're like, I'm that here. Would have, that would have been putting a hat on top of a hat. Yeah. On top of a hat. Almost for this sure. movie. To say the least. The idea that they're, that they're nonviolent, and I, I guess that the, the black guy was their sort of enforcer, because, like, he was the one doing the torturing in the earlier scene. Yeah, but to have just, him just come out just and torturing. say it, it's like, yeah, the, to have him come out and say, we are a peaceful society. We make our enemies murder each other. Oh, so you're not a peaceful society then. <laughs> like, well, that's that's the not the opposite, but like not not peaceful. Yeah. Like just war by. But that that, that feels like a real slavery with extra step situation. I I read that as like a commentary on like Cold War foreign policy and like proxy wars. Interesting. Where it's like, well, I mean, like we're not the ones murdering communists in Indonesia. It's uh-huh. it's the Indonesians doing it, right? Yeah, Maybe I'm giving the movie a little too much credit, but that, but that's that's what. Yeah, it, how, I, I also thought it was a very does, funny line. That's what it made me think of. That's pretty. It's pretty. Look, I I appreciate it, and that would be salient commentary if you could fit uh, bleeding eye ape Jesus into that. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I think that I just, that's where this. I just the, thought that the, looked the cool. Movie, no, it was a good. It was. It, look, I that was the one of the better. This uh, is scenes, what the movie has going for it: is looking cool. Yeah, there's there's some cool scenes. I just think it's worth mentioning that the uh, the, the the enforcer, the uh, black enforcer, is uh, his name is Angaro, according to mm-hmm. behind the scenes material and like later material. But he's credited in the end credits as Negro, <laughs> which is probably the last time you could get away with that doing that in a mainstream <laughs> motion <Yeah>. picture. <laughs> I would say so. According to, because I I saw this in the we credits. We had our one. I saw this in the credits and I like zeroed yeah. in and I was like, of I course. have to find out what the deal is with this. So yeah. apparently Paul Dean, like, because that's the credits are based on like how the screenplay mm-hmm. is written, uh-huh. like what the character's name is in the script. Um, oh, so the, he was cre- Paul Dean wrote hit as Negro just to emphasize that I want to cast a black person mm-hmm. to play this okay. role. So like. Yeah. They would do that in movies sometimes where it's like yeah, that. Yeah. So it wasn't meant to be like, I mean, it's not like they go around saying it <laughs> right, right, openly right, on right. screen, but it's just, it's, it's there. It can't, I mean, I guess you could change the credits. They probably uh-huh. should, but it, it's just there. And I just think it's worth commenting on because just in case anyone watches the movie based on a recommendation, if we right. notice that. It, 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 it reminded me of the first film in a way that like, oh, they, shit, they have a, they, it was like that the beginning of that first movie is like, oh shit, one of the, uh, one of the astronauts is a woman. One of the astronauts is a black guy. Oh, the woman dies immediately. Immediately dies before like before scene two, and then uh, whatever the the black guy gets like uh, embalmed or whatever. I was like, oh, okay, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> and then for in this film, the only the only telekinetic human we see be an asshole, be the most asshole. And then to immediately get murdered uh, is is the black one, but also he had kind of the most screen time, so that's the other side of it. So I don't know. Yeah, and he was ta- he they got him as like a talking head in the little documentary on the, this guy watched, and he talked oh, about how he still gets recognized 
and like at oh, conventions sure. and stuff. So people, you know, people love these movies and stuff. There you and go. talk to talk to him about it. I just wish, you know, I think it's worth updating the credits to reflect Angaro, yeah. or at the very least, African American. <laughs> right. Yeah. There you go. Not, not ca- casually throwing that one around. So yeah, there's, there's this big fight scene between Taylor and Brent. It's like mm-hmm. people in 1970, their minds are exploding. These two titans that I both love, Brent and Taylor, <laughs> fighting. I thought that scene was pretty good. The the uh, the walls, like as they're crushing the walls coming down around them. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, uh, I, I don't know if that that shouldn't be how that actually works. It's a cave. Even still, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I, I liked how the when they first got in the cell, and I noticed that there were spikes on the bars. I was like, I wonder if this will come into play. And they did. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he gets uh, fucking crushed. Oh, my goodness. That the uh, uh, Yes, yeah, so on, on Garo makes the wise decision to just stay in the doorway. <laughs> where he's vulnerable. Because Nova shows up. And like Chris mentioned before, this is, this is her moment when she... Uh- I was, I was so, I was like hoping, yes, like this, like she's going to jump on his back and like get involved in this fight. And no, he just, she just gently attempts to say his name. (laughs) And and everyone is stunned that a woman has said a word (laughs) and that gives them enough time to kill Angara. Well, I think it's, I like that it's like a guttural growl. As opposed she to did, her just she saying did a good job with it. Like, it, as if, if you were going to say your first word, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be good at it. I liked it. So they, they kill Angaro, and then like they... crushing they... him between the, uh, the gate and the door. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gets... It's, uh, it's very violent when you think about it. It's very... Um... The Iron Maiden. Yeah, like yeah. that band. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they make their way to the church, and we have... It's kind of, uh, it's kind of a weird how it's like there are a lot of, like, ape guerrilla army extras mm-hmm. in this movie because the movie yes. feels in some ways their new, cheap, new there wood are, guns i really liked their new wood guns it's just a cool design like the ape mm-hmm. like the gorillas in like this military outfit with the guns like something about it is like really interesting and uh iconic um, yeah, i love an agent do you, uniform <laughs> do you want to talk about like that part where ursus and zaeus are like approaching and there's all those weird visuals that they see i thought that part was really cool i think it's probably the most like interesting visual part of the movie where mm-hmm. where the, the the mutants i guess are, are projecting these images of of crucified apes upside down crucified apes and flames i, I think the upside down crucified apes are real uh maybe i'm wrong no no because they do no. disappear they all disappear never mind yeah and then there's the uh i thought the... you were saying they were real apes <laughs> and i was like no no they're not <laughs> It's the um, only scene in which they got real apes. And then uh, you have the giant statue of the lawgiver who starts bleeding. I enjoyed that as like a, like a, like a weird, like, it actually kind of reminded me like a little bit of The Last Temptation of Christ, where like, yeah. it's like, I feel like in that movie, Scorsese leans into like how freaky you can make Christianity look. And I, you know, I, like the idea of like religious hysteria is very interesting to me. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Also reminded me of the Ten Commandments in that regard. Remember how in Mad Men there's that scene where Don and Bobby watch yes. the original movie? Yes. Like imagine like them going to see this movie and then the part with the ape crucified ape like bleeding from the eyes and Don just being like, what the? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that would not go over well. So it's basically chaos in the underground city. The pacifistic mutants are like no match for these apes with their puny weapons <laughs> their guns 
they, yeah, they basically get slaughtered and they can't really do much about it. And and then they then they take the ropes and they pull down the giant nuclear dildo, and then it just ends right that they the other two escape. Well, well, and... well yeah, it, it starts smoking. And then Taylor and Brent show up. I, I guess they're oh, trying and, to and stop. We, forgot, we know we know how bad the bomb is because uh, uh, Taylor asks Brent if he knows what type of bomb it is, and Brent says, "Oh, I don't know. There's some Greek lettering on the side." And Taylor's the Alpha and Omega bomb. <laughs> <laughs> it shall destroy us all. Did you like, did you very, notice very that when they're in the church, they have like an Alpha and Omega prayer? I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes, the uh... so yeah, I guess their their plan is that they know this bomb is dangerous and they're trying to stop it from exploding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they basically come into the church and they have a confrontation. How does General Ursus die? I'm trying to remember. He just gets shot by Brent, I think. I think so, yes. I, does he even die, though? I can't remember if he's just kind of, like, incapacitated. Because um, the idea is that the humans are trying to detonate the bomb. Like, they want... They're like basically a suicide cult. I think, I think Ursus shoots Taylor. And yes. then Brent shoots Ursus in the back. That that sounds right. And oh, they, Brent. Yeah, Brent, like, plays the organ. Yes, and I yes. And distracts yeah. Ursus and gets shot. Yes. Um... And the apes have lowered the bomb, like like uh, it reminded me of the the statue of Saddam Hussein coming down. Um, <laughs> and then gas starts to emit from it, and then all the the apes panic, and they're trying to find a way to stop this. And then uh, yes, Taylor gets shot, and he, he has a final confrontation with Zayas. Yes, who's surprised he's there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. The, the, I think the one awesome Charlton Heston line is when he's like, "It's doomsday." Yes. <laughs> And then uh, his his hand falls on on the launch button. And then and then screen fades to light, and we get some narration that says the the planet uh, exploded. Yes. <laughs> and then the movie just ends. Yes. So what ha what happened when when you guys are watching this? Because you both haven't seen this before. So what what do you, what do you like? I well, part of me is like, well, this is a very contrived way to launch a bomb. Like, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell what Taylor was trying to accomplish if he was trying to launch it, or he was just in a very inconvenient position. And then when it ended, I was like, and then I was like, I, I was like, like when it ended the way it ended, which is like, you know, there was a planet that was green that's now dead. I was like, well, I don't know what else I was expecting. Like, there was, I knew there was only like one minute left in the movie. I guess I don't know what else I was expecting, but then the, the, the we gotta save it in the last minute. It's like we're good, and then just be done. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, I don't know if awesome is the right word, but I think it's kind of admirable how the movie just like ends the way it does. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Doesn't ask you for any like understanding or sympathy. It's like all right, get out of the theater now. <laughs> are, are, aren't there more movies in this series? Yes, and yes. we're going to be talking they, about Fox, it. <laughs> this movie came out, and it was a huge success, and then the producers were like, hey, we want another sequel. <laughs> and it's like, are you serious? We literally blew up the planet. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. But no, Chris, what, what were you thinking? Like, as you're watching this, like, what are you thinking? I fell asleep, so this is news to me. Like, the, I, I fell asleep. You, you didn't see this part? down. I didn't. I didn't see any of that. I I was trying to like flag through it, and I guess there was only a couple minutes left that I I figured they had stopped the bomb. I, I did not think they did that. Really, truly wild. Uh, good on them. Um. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna give you as many bananas this week, Chris. Watch the whole <laughs> movie. I'm sorry. 
But I, I tried to get up this morning to write my article, and I failed miserably, and so I was very tired. Just think, you didn't fail as bad as Taylor did. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Blowing up planet Earth. I think I think he did it deliberately, my interpretation. Because he is very cynical, and it's like, just, like, all this craziness is just proven that it's like, yeah, it was all humanity and everything else was kind of a wash. So he's just blowing up. <laughs> Also, uh, they, they mentioned it was a, uh, the, the other guy was a rescue mission for him and for their crew. Yes. And how, how does that work? They, like, like. <laughs> they find Taylor and they rescue him. What? I, what like, how, how, how could there be a rescue mission from the past? They didn't know he didn't arrive in the future. Like, I, I don't know, I never quite gathered that part. Like, I, at first I thought he would, they were just like the next ship in like the, whatever the series or whatever this is. So the idea that they're a rescue mission, to just like say that and then never address it, how that works. Because I guess, ah, oh, there you go. They're going to have a reason for going back and for them knowing. Well, uh, Brent failed also in his mission to rescue Taylor. Just a lot of failure going on around yeah. here. So um, I guess, like, uh, final thoughts. If you had to give a pithy statement regarding your opinion on this movie, what would you say? I would say that it is obviously not as good as the first. This is not a good movie, but it's also not, like, a actively bad movie. And, like, it's if you have 95 minutes to kill, you could do a whole lot worse. It, it's, it's very watchable, even if it is a little low-calorie. It It's taking... Because it has the basis of the first movie to walk off, uh, work off of, it's taking a lot of big swings, and not all of them are connecting, but a lot of them are all fun to watch. Uh, it's 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 not a good movie, but it definitely isn't a boring movie. I think, except for maybe the ending a little bit until the very very end, which I didn't even get to. So there you go. yeah, I used to like really enjoy like the second half of this movie because it just like went completely in a different direction, and. I, the first the first half of this movie it's like i i think it's very hard to recommend because um, it is just kind of retreading the same thing i mean obviously not, they not had to do it to recap of the deepening of simian, simian politics no i mean i like that stuff but it's just brent and just they have to do it again Them riding around on a horse for another half hour yeah and it's just like brent brent isn't interacting with any of this he's just observing it yeah. Yeah, you don't even really know how much he observes because he's just like he's like peering and then he sees the amphitheater and he just hears it um hey you, you know he heard the speech because that uh he he when they're trying to like explain all the rules to him he's like oh i got it there's a forbidden zone he's like how do you know so like, i listen i listen to your giant speech i was like oh nice good call back. i mean i like i like general ursus uh fun fact uh the original actor they wanted to get general ursus was orson wells oh really that would have been fucking amazing mm -hmm. but he didn't want to do it because of the makeup <laughs> I, the, my, my other straight thought is that there's a scene where Ursus and uh, Zeus are in like a sauna. Oh, and I was yes. Like, yes. I, I was like, How do they, that was like pretty well done. It was, but I was like, I hope they're not like in an actual like heat generating room because like that would be hell oh. to be in that makeup oh. while you're also you're it's... also getting a steam like that. That could oh. not have been fun. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that sauna scene held up as well as Chris might think it does. Because at the beginning of the, the, the feature-length Planet of the Apes documentary, they show, like, old movies featuring, like, guys in gorilla suits from, like, the 40s and 50s. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, they just look so fake. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the gorilla on that end, the end of that SpongeBob episode. That's, like, what it looks like. It just doesn't work. But they were like, we're going to push the technology of makeup Come forward. On. We're going to have a sauna scene. Yeah. 
We're going to have See, these I, apes I think, walk around naked, technically. I mean, I think it was an admirable, admirable attempt to try to push yeah. technology forward, but I don't I don't think it worked. And it just... Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I, I don't know. I think they look better than half of the ape extras do in some of those close-ups. Yes, like, whenever, that, that is... Like, like that you can see like half of them are incredibly well done and half of them are just like ape mask with dark holes like you, you're you not really supposed to look at them that much yeah yeah the budget was cut in half so they couldn't go. do anything like i like giving this movie more than like a five out of ten it's like because i like the second half or like half of it but like half of it is like i can't recommend to people so that's where i i fall in it's like right down the middle for me I'm about the same, but it's it's definitely like I chunks of each half that I enjoy, but that sort of round back up to fifty. Well, nevertheless, what we think this movie was just huge success at the box office, no doubt to the budget being slashed, uh, ensuring a huge return on investment. Fox greenlit another sequel, which uh, Paul Dean had to scramble to write, come up with an idea, which uh, leads to actually really great results in the uh, next oh. entry. Next time we'll be talking about the Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and it'll be really good. But in the meantime, I want to hear what you people think about Planet of the Apes. That's right, I said you people. Mike, tell them how they can get in touch with us. You can email us at contact at thepostwriter.com, and you can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts. Just look us up on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you find podcasts. You can find us there, and you can find me... Uh, on the post writer you can find me on the writing and you can find me at twitter at emlavito and letterbox at amerimike what about you chris uh that i uh, you can you can catch my article on the post writer hopefully by the time uh you're listening to this my my second article on magic mike has been posted um which i will doodly be working on uh, uh this evening and tomorrow um other than that um <laughs> i think magic mike could do a pretty cool dancing in that cathedral set (laughs) look it was a great that was a great set i'm I'm curious about the new movie that it's apparently just the the final 30 minutes is just pure dance sequence i'm like okay i'm 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 both interested and dutiful the new plan of the apes movie is just dance sequence what (laughs) yeah i i'm involved with the post writer as well you can find me on twitter and letterbox at the lewis ryan I, I've been doing a podcast series with Mike called Fortress of Ineptitude where we look at the, the golden age of superhero comic book movies, <laughs> the pre-MCU days. And recently we just talked about the uh, Punisher movie from 2004. Regardless of what you think of the movie, the podcast episode is not a punishment in and of itself, so I highly recommend giving it a listen. So I'm Lewis Ryan. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye, everybody. bracket season and to celebrate the post rider is a brand new podcast they'll do for political junkies what the ncaa tournament does for sports fans that's right everyone it's called floor fight and each season we'll be creating a bracket that pits political figures and topics against each other until we end up with an ultimate winner it's like a contested convention if a contested convention was held between two guys in a google hangout with too much time on their hands for our first season, we seeded 72 losing presidential candidates for a tournament of the also-ran so we can finally answer the question, 
who was the greatest president we never had. It's the perfect show for anyone who ever wondered what would happen if Dewey really did defeat Truman, or if Palm Beach County didn't use a butterfly belt in 2000. And the best part is you can check out the seeds and prepare for the planes now at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight. See every candidate who they'll match off against the plane in first rounds, and let us know on Twitter at the postwriter who you think should win. And if those references to Dewey and Truman and Palm Beach County meant anything to you, then subscribe to Floor Fight. It's available everywhere you can find podcasts and, of course, on thepostwriter.com.